Think about the concept of rare. It's often synonymous with unique, valuable, precious. But what about in the context of disease? Rare diseases are defined as having an extremely low prevalence, yet an estimated 30 million Americans have one. That's one in 10 people. Listen as we uncover some of the inspiring stories of lives touched by rare disease and see how in the end, we all have rare in common. I'm your host, Andrew Stratton, and I have a rare disease. Since my diagnosis with partial lipodystrophy at age 37, I've become a voice for my community, first through the creation of the patient foundation, Lipodystrophy United, and now through public outreach and national awareness campaigns. Today's story is one of uncertainty. We're speaking with Janice Creedon about her journey of searching for a diagnosis for her son, Luke, and how she maintains the endurance to continue to seek answers. Janice, thanks so much for coming to join us today and and share your story, your family's story and Luke's story. It's nice to meet you in person. It's nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Um, I know who you are, but why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and why you're here? My name is Janice Creedon. I am a mother to a beautiful son named Luke who has a, a genetic chromosomal mutation that has never been seen before, and we're still waiting for a diagnosis. So that you have found a mutation? We have found a major deletion in part of his second chromosome, and we were fortunate enough to have... Um, a geneticist who looked into it because that area of deletion on that part of the second chromosome has never been seen nor reported before. So when they took that area, they were able to identify a protein, which they think might be a connective tissue disorder, based on some other clinical findings that okay. my son has. But he, his finding, as far as the mutation and the on the second chromosome has never been reported worldwide. He's the first one. So tell us a little bit about your son. His name is Luke. He just turned six. Yay. Yes. We made it past the five-year mark because most, there was a one in five kids don't live to their fifth birthday. So him actually celebrating his fifth birthday was a big deal. I imagine. Yes. Um, and this year, knock wood, we will be celebrating her disease day outside the hospital. Oh, yeah. Have you spent a lot of years past in hospital? Last February was a month from somewhere else. Yeah. And um, all of February and part of March, he was hospitalized. That's tough on the whole family, and especially that little guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's last year had 90 days admission. And... Yeah, so it's totally yeah, 90 days of mom being in a hospital. <laughs> so how do you, I mean, this seems like such a uh, you know, flippant way to ask, but how do you manage that with him in the hospital? It's, it, I, that's a really good question because I don't, do you really manage? Right, I, right. <laughs> do, you <laughs> do you manage? Um, that's an excellent, you, that's a double-barreled question. Like, right. yeah, you're assuming I, mean, I manage. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that don't get done. There's a lot of things that right. you're not able to do. Um, 
It appears, you know, Luke's the bottom of four. I have three other children. You do? I do, yeah. I mean, What are their ages? Well, I have two children from a previous marriage. There's a little bit of an age difference between my present husband. Um, so I have a 27-year-old. Oh. I have a 23-year-old. And I have an 8-year-old. And, and then, then Luke. six-year-old. Yeah. Do any so, of the other three have health complications? Well, the— See, Luke and Cecilia are, are they're, they're, full siblings. They're, they're full siblings. Um, no, they do not have any medical complications. It's Luke, just Luke. And how old was he when you started to notice something was different than your other three? Birth. Immediately. Immediately. And I was told uh, repetitive that he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. He just, I felt like something was not. He was different. There was something different about him. Nothing you could pinpoint? You just felt it? He just—truthfully, it was his cry, and I noticed instantly how loudly he snored. (laughs) A newborn snoring is very, like, huh, that's weird. And he just—his ability to eat, like, I could not get him to nurse. Like, there was just something—there was something weird about everything about— did you keep it to yourself or did you I asked I asked everyone if somebody my biggest fear was that he because I was a 40-year-old mom. Right. My biggest fear was that he was going to have down syndrome. Now I laugh at that. I, <laughs> that's yeah. a diagnosis. People know what to do with down syndrome, right? right you know? Right. So I asked everybody, I asked everyone, do you think he has Down syndrome? Does he look like he has Down syndrome? I, at one point, I mean, this sounds so crazy, but it's like the truth. I was, you know, I had a C-section and get some pain meds on board. I asked, I was holding Luke, and the housekeeper came in. I asked the housekeeper. I thought she was a nursing assistant. I didn't care. Did they think he, it's just he was acting, he just was different. Yeah. And for six months, I, and, you know, he wasn't gaining any weight. He wasn't, he just he was never got past like acting like a newborn, and the doctor kept telling me I was doing a great job, everything's fine, everything's fine, until he had a yet another uh, croup case, and the doctor that is our pediatrician now was covering at the time for the doctor that we were seeing, and he says, "Is he always like this? Is he like? Does he lift his head? No, he doesn't lift. He was six months old." So he started to question. Yeah, well, yeah, the the doctor that was that covered him that we have now is like, there's there's something going on here. He's he's not even thirteen pounds. Like, how old? How much did he weigh at birth? Almost eight. There, yeah, something's going on. How did that make you feel? <sighs> it was like, it was very mixed bag. It was a mixed bag of feelings because it was like. Okay, I, I felt like there was some—I didn't want to be right. I really enjoyed everybody. You know, the doctor's telling me I was doing a good job. and But it also concerned like me bittersweet. That, yeah, like it was bittersweet. But validated, he validated, but you didn't want to be right. Right, and within, like, one week, we were seen at Children's Hospital in Boston. And we got it—originally, it was neurology. It was like, I'm getting you into neurology. Like, now, this kid needs to be seen by neurology. And it was it was just kind of a rolling snowball from there. It was neurology that looked at him and said, you know, was, you noticed that he had no tone. He just—he had no tone. Um, but then looked at his hand and then flipped the other hand over 
and then looked at his feet. At this point, I'm freaking out because that's usually a sign of Down syndrome when they got that right. Simeon's crease. So you still had that in your head. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I was right. I was right. But he doesn't look Down syndrome. They said, we need to get you into genetics. And that... So they, right away, they went to... We did they do a, a genetic test or did they do full gen, genome sequencing? What did they do? You know, the irony of that is... Um, I'm going to answer your first question. The answer to your first question is no. They did not do GM sequencing. What they did at the time... Again, we're going back six years... Almost, it'll be six years in, say, September. It'll okay. be six years in September. They did a microarray. Microarray, which, you know... Right, low, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's where the... The mutation was found. So it was found right away. It was found right away. We did have to wait. Like I said, we had the um, the testing in September. And I remember my son's pediatrician saying, when you do see genetics, brace yourself. They're going, you know, your first appointment. They're going to ask you a million and six questions. And when you walk out of that appointment, you're going to feel like you were ran over by a bus. You're, and he was right. So like, he prepared you. He prepared me, and I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, that's he's, he's really um, he stayed on top of Luke. He reads every single note. I mean, and he like you know he's got three appointments a week, and you know he's in multiple apartment. Uh, and this appointments. is the physician who said something's going on exactly. And you still see I him. absolutely, and I credit everything that's Luke's progress because of him because I I know. Luke would not be alive right Is now. Is he a pediatrician? or He's he? a pediatrician, but he himself, um, he's studying a rare disease, and he has a, a his own business where he's studying. Um, he's got a lab, and he's really worried. He's very involved in okay. genetics. So he I was, was open to seeing out of the box. Absolutely, and that's why I like him. He's a totally out-of-the-box thinker. You know, he says, you know, we, we see— he says, we see horses all the time around here. He's like, but we see zebras, too. We do. Absolutely. He's like, and Luke is our zebra. You know, sometimes he has a unicorn. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know? In addition to him, how many other physicians does Luke see? Regularly. At least a dozen. Right. And multiple departments. It's very hard with a case like Luke that's... Um, Who's spearheading it? I mean, he's a part of the complex care team at Children's because there's so many different departments involved. And even, you know, we have we have to stay at Children's just because of the communication factor. So, great. So all the physicians everything, are in the same place. Everything is in there. You know, it's funny because um, my family has moved to Florida, so I really don't have much family here anymore. And I just recently went out to Tampa beginning of this month, to consider looking to move to Tampa so we could have more of a family support. Because, hey, let's face it, when Luke gets in the hospital, my mom has to fly from Florida to come help with Cecilia. Right. I mean, my 23-year-old is in her second year of law school. She's lucky she gets to brush her teeth. You know, she can't, you know, help out. Right. So it's um, – and recognizing that we need help. So I went over to Tampa. I went to Children's Hospital in Tampa, which I think is a John Hopkins and it was like, yeah, no, they just is no way. There's no possible way that we could start. Start it just, fresh. It can't start fresh. It can't. So, so what Boston sort of treatments this. has Luke um, had that have worked that haven't worked? Well, I would definitely say what has been successful because he's able to do so much more now. Um, we didn't know until he was almost. 
he was about two and a half, when his complex care doc said, you know, the muscles, I don't know, remember you heard me saying this in the, the Rare and Common movie that, you know, the heart, all his muscles are affected. We should probably check his heart. We had no reason to believe that there was anything cardiac related to this child because, I mean, he's at that point, at two and a half years old, he's probably had 200 doctors listen to him. Right. And they never audibly heard anything wrong with his heart. Um, so she says, well, it's a pretty big muscle. We should just just have it checked. Just have it checked. <laughs> pretty big muscle. It's a pretty big muscle. We should probably get that looked at. And she was right. Like, it was a good thing. I wasn't expecting the appointment. Like, I almost didn't take my husband because it was supposed to be such a nonsense appointment. And right. ended up it had three major things wrong with his heart. One of them... He did end up having heart surgery for and to wow. close this major, major hole in his heart. Wow. We didn't even know he had right. because, you know, you, you hear murmurs and it's like blowing through a hole, you know, a, a, a straw. You know, you hear it, but it's a small. But if it's big and it's blowing blood through, you're not going to hear it because it's so large. And that was the case. That was the case. I mean, That's a pretty major surgery. It's for a pretty major surgery. Two and a half year old. Um, because of his weight and all of his respiratory issues, we did wait because we wanted to. He would not have survived if we had open heart surgery. So we went through. Um, we had to wait till he was thirty three pounds. So we had to wait till it'll be two years in June that he had the surgery. He was four, and it went through his groin through a cath lab, and they closed the hole that way. Right. Um, which is amazing that they can do that because he would not have been able to endorse such a major surgery. So with all of these things and hospital visits, how do you explain to Luke what's going on with him? Yeah, that's that's the tough part now. Um, that's recent. You know, it's been part of his life because he's had so many admissions and he's had so many, so many surgeries. I think since Rare and Common, one of the main surgeries that he's had because, you know, remember I said that the weird thing about him was that he was snoring at birth? Yes. Well, the tongue's a pretty big muscle. The yes. tongue is one of the strongest muscles. And that, too, has very low tone. So when he sleeps, it rolls back, it, obstructs his airway. Right. So they took out part of his tongue. They moved it part of the trachea. Oh, they yeah. they sewed up his... I mean, he had some major... That air, is major. It was major airway surgery. Um, does he sleep with any machines? Yes, does now he, he does. Does and, he have a CPAP? Yes, he does. And he's going back in... I might get a phone call today. Um, he's had another procedure done last March... Uh, but they need another sleep study because he's yeah. he is it's starting up again. You can hear it. So back to that. How do you? I mean, you, these surgeries, these complications, the CPAP. How do you? How do we answer his questions? How do you answer his questions? How do you get him to comply with the CPAP? Well, all of those things. I think those are multiple questions. Uh, I'm going to start with answering the question about the hospitalizations. Um, up till recently, he identified what was happening by admissions and appointments. And he called the emergency room door, the sleepover door, because every single time he walked through that door, he knew he was staying over. Um, I mean, <laughs> right? He calls that the sleepover door. I, I shouldn't laugh, but if you are in the rare disease yes, community, right? you just, have to find humor where. <laughs> no, yeah, right. It's a survival mechanism. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. And then the other one, the appointment door, that's his. Well, it used to be get a cookie door. Now it's he he will only eat the pizza at the Boston Children's Hospital cafeteria. So that's his pizza that's door. That's his pizza door. Now he's um, at least he's significantly de- 
um, behind gross motors because, you know, it's muscles. Right. Um, he's starting to recognize that he's fragile and that uh, because when he, he has the one, you know, you know, been a room full of kids coughing, if I hear Luke cough once, if I hear him cough twice, three times, I know within 48 hours he's going to be in the hospital. Like, it's just that, you know, right. it, it just it just changed. And he's noticing that I'm watching things, and he notices that. He's noticing your response. My response, and he wants to do everything other kids are doing, and he wants to know why he can't do those things. Why can't he hang on monkey bars? Well, how do you explain to him that, you know, we don't want your shoulders to dislocate? Yeah, you I, know, you've, he's. So how, what do you say? Your, I just say your arms just, they're just not a strong buddy. I said, you'll, you can get hurt. I will hold your ankles and I will hold your waist, but I can't let you do it by yourself. It's, he's, he wants to do everything independently now. And he's recognizing that he's different. And why does he get sick? And I'll just say, your body works differently. I mean, I try to answer it the best I can in a most age-appropriate way. Without scaring him, too, and that, you know. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you'll just learn as you go, as he asks. Right. Right? I wish I could tell him what he has. Because I think, you know, I, I read about that a lot, that kids get some sort of like, oh, there's somebody else that has it, too. When they, like, your conferences, when they go to a, a – they meet other people or other sibs or other peers that have the same thing right. that they do. It's like – you know, they, they finally fit somewhere. Yeah, I imagine that lack of it, that lack of just a just a title, just a name. Yeah, is yeah. is hard because you can't. How do you know what to tell him if you don't? You know, I don't know. You don't know. I mean. We've got something kind of similar to go through. You know, you've got the Louis Deeds syndrome. You have Endler's Danlow. You have Marfan syndrome. He's got all of those, those same things that yeah, they have. Actually, Marfan is, is related to lipodystrophy. There are people with Marfan and lipodystrophy, so I understand. Um, and, and it is true. You, you, you can find commonalities, but without knowing what you, you know, you don't know what you don't know yet. No, so. I don't know what I don't know yet. So but that's the hardest part. It's exactly that. And you you, know, you start to think you're going crazy. You're like you're so hyper aware of everything. Um, is there <laughs> is there balance in that? It do you have you identified <laughs> a way that you can keep moving forward and looking for those answers and still live in today? I mean, maybe you haven't. I no, no, I, I, we, life is so fast that you just get, you know, you just get through the day. Like I told you originally, like there's so much stuff that doesn't get done. There's so much that doesn't, you just try to manage getting, just doing it, just living it. And that's when he's well, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Those are the good days. Right. And, you know, you just do things differently. Like, um, I'm sure that I hear this from a lot of rare moms that, when you go grocery shop and you don't put your groceries away, you do six meals at the same time and you you uh, meal prepare. Right. You know, you if do, you can, that's right. right. That's what I do. I mean, I just, I never cook once. You know, I never cook one meal. I cook five meals. 
because you don't know. What's I don't next. know what's going to happen next. Right. Um, that's is, just how I do things. Is he in school? He's in school. He's in kindergarten. Um, in my my town, there's full day. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the endurance to go full day. I don't. <laughs> right. So yeah, he. he I has, need nap time. <laughs> right. You know, he's just totally exhausted. Yeah. So yeah, he's in school, but like he can't really hold a pencil. Oh, cognitively, he's absolutely fine. Um, he just doesn't have the the motor coordination. Right. So it's it's a it's an issue. It's a, you know. He's, and how do you work with his teachers and his peers on that? <sighs> It's it's like a balance between what is more important. We need to keep him healthy. So we really – he spends a lot of time at home teaching um, and in the hospital. So we – he misses a lot. He miss, absolutely misses a lot of school. He has occupational therapy that's trying really hard to, to work on those, his deficits. Um, but Luke's been – with the school department since he was eight, you know, aged out of EI. So they're aware of all of his, his strengths and weaknesses, kind of accommodating. And this is a big question and, and no easy answer, but what would it mean to you to get a diagnosis? Everything, everything. I mean, I know it's kind of like it's opening Pandora's box maybe, but it's, um, it's something. It's, it's, it, it's everything. Yeah. Having, you know, oh, what, what's, you know, what does your son have? Oh, we really don't know. So, uh, oh, he looks great. I'm like. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks. Nice, right? <laughs> we're six years out now since he, and technology has changed. Do That's, you think there's new technology that will well, help? It's interesting that you asked that question. Um, I've been advocating for, obviously, from rare diseases since I knew what a rare disease was. And I welcome and welcome to this new world that I am living in. Um, one of the things that I do a lot of advocating for is the ability to access genetic testing. It's so that's when I asked you that yes. question. So I mean, I'm no stranger to advocating for my son, and I thought we did all the genetic testing, and it wasn't. So at his last genetic appointment in October, they said, "Well." We should probably consider complete exome sequencing. And I said, what do you mean? We haven't done that already? And they said, no. Right, because you, <laughs> you thought we, <laughs> we did, did a genetic everything. test. Right. So. so I didn't understand that the, there was such a major difference. And he says, no, it's not quite that simple. He says, I actually have to bring your case to the board at Children's Hospital, and they need to get the approval before we can even request it from your insurance company. I'm like, what in the world? Are you kidding me? That must have felt shocking. I was like, it was shocking, but it was like, are you serious? What would it, you know, it shouldn't be this hard. I mean, he's not like a stranger to this place, right? I mean, he's that rare. We're all looking for the answers for Luke, so why aren't we doing why, this? Why has this not been done? It's right. just, well, it's, you know, you have special approval, and, and and so we did have the, we did have the test. Um, in December, we get our results back in May, so we're still waiting. So you're in the waiting we're game. We're in the waiting game again, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a mixed, that is going to be like, because it's going to tell us a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it's going to tell us. Yeah. Do you feel a sense of hope? 
Do you feel a sense of fear? Um, I'm hopeful. I mean, I was a little concerned with, you know, when I went to the, when we met with the genetic, um, the counselor to say, okay, before we do this, you, you know, this is what it is, this is what it isn't. Um, this is what it's going to tell us, and this is what it's not going to tell us. I said, okay. And they, of course, they wanted us to do it as well. I said, okay. So it's, you know, if they say that they find that there's, that we are predisposed for a certain type of cancer, one of the things that I asked, I said, okay, let me ask you this question, you know, let's, because I'm kind of a waiting for the other shoe to drop kind of person at this point. If for some unknown reason that they say that I'm, you know, a carrier, one of the things that they could find is some sort of cancer per se, which is, you know, that's one of the things. Right. How does that affect life insurance? Right. They, it, it's it's a big deal, right? Because what if you find something that is unassociated with his diagnosis or lack thereof, but something else? It, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot, and it does actually infect life insurance. Yeah, I it imagine. Does. It does. So we opted not to find out for ourselves. Okay. Okay. But I mean, if it's something that, oh, when they say, they, we, we just, you know, we need it so badly for Luke that we'll just, you know, it's not life insurance first, a diagnosis. We're going to go with the diagnoses. Um, so we were... So they'll tell you if there was something that you were a carrier for, but they won't tell you anything else? Or they won't no, tell you they anything? No, they won't. They're not even going to tell us which one of us. Say they find that he okay. has... That, you know, he's predisposed. He has the, he has the genetic findings for this type of cancer or whatever. It's not going to tell us which parent he got it from. Okay. That's a lot of decisions to make. It's it was, not just it, for it, Luke. It's no, for the both of right, you. Yeah. I mean, it was a major appointment, but we're at this part of this, you know, we've been dealing with this for so long that it's everything. It's, it's just worth everything. You know, we need to know. We need to know. And it's also going to, his information is going to be put into this database. So, there might be somebody else that already has it. So then that we're adding to the database. That's what I really think is so important. You were saying that your mutation, you, you're a perfect example. They have information on that because there's been other entries. And that's what's so important. Yeah. So you're willing. I, I really think that that is one thing that we see in the rare disease community. For a lot of people, it really just is the willingness to make it a little easier for the next person. Right? Absolutely. If, even if even if it's, you know, I say it's too late for me, but if I can make the path smoother for the next person, it's worth it. Absolutely. And and you'll get there, I'm sure, with Luke. It's I hope so. It's, it's, it's a matter of matter of the perseverance that you've shown every day. That's I mean, I can't think of anything else more worth it, right? You know? Right. Our kids. Yeah. It's it's it actually sounds quite unique to me that you have a physician who's been in this with you and that you're at a place where there's a team. Am I correct in assuming that they do a pretty good job with communicating with each Absolutely. other? Absolutely. And that is it's so that's why he's he is where he's he's made this progress that he has. Communication is so important. Um and and you're Doctors, how do I say this? You can, you have to have a doctor that 
is willing to recognize that they might not know the answer. Yeah. And that this is something that belongs in somebody else's hands. And I am okay with a doctor telling me that they can't do this. I'd rather them say, you need to go to this person than try to figure it out and waste time. Because... That's the best gift a doctor can give you, Absolutely, honestly. is honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's he's rare. I know he's strange. And that's okay. I see strange. He's, you know, I'm not trying to be rude or disrespectful to him. He is. He's unique. Um, when we go to the local... We get very comfortable in our own right. worlds, right? Yeah. You know, I've gone to doctors in the emergency room. They always see sick kids all the time. I'm like, yeah, mm. but you don't... Not... not no, no, you you can't just put tape on him and then expect to rip it off and not have problems. Oh, you know, he's got sensitive skin. It's not like he has endless stand low. I'm like, no, he doesn't have endless stand low, but he does, you know, you just listen like to me. Tissue. Listen to me. So uh, you participated in Rare and Common, the yes. documentary. Yes, that was um, awesome. The whole world, you know, learned about your story. Ugh. Have had. Has there been any medical um, awakenings based on, on – has anyone reached out to you and said, hey, I saw your story. My story is similar. Have you – do you think that you have uh, gained knowledge on his uh, – about Luke and his illness from sharing his story? Yes. Um, because I've been – been part of the rare and common. I've been fortunate enough to be introduced to certain people and in this community of because of the rare and common movie, I went we were part of the the Rare Disorder Film Festival. Right. And I was matched up with some people or introduced to some people that said, I think I think it's possible that, you know, we could maybe help you. There was something called gene to face recognition. Yes, right. Yeah. So there's you know I was gonna ask yeah, you about yeah, facial recognition. Yeah, no, unfortunately. Um you know, some similarities in certain things, but not nothing nothing I think that is a technology, while it didn't work for Luke, that could potentially help the rare undiagnosed Absolutely group is that technology that's looking at facial recognition oh. for certain diseases. Bo reached out to me via email a couple of weeks ago, and one of his colleagues is going to be doing a documentary on the undiagnosed patient, and he shared Luke's information. I'm not quite sure what's going to come out of that, um, if anything. So there's been some networking that, I mean, just the, the willingness from other people or want to help is... So amazing and so, so greatly appreciated. In addition to that, that desire to help and that, that sub- emotional support or, or support you must feel from that, what, what else can people in the rare disease community and your friends and family do to provide support for you and the family? My thing that I usually ask when Luke is in the hospital, um, help me the best thing you can do to help me so I can take care of Luke is help my husband who's taking care of the others. Make it so he can do my other job so I can take care of Luke. Right, because you're a mom, so you have multiple Multiple, jobs. right. I mean, if I can't run the house. I mean, imagine. I said that to my mom friends. I'm like, imagine I went out to dinner with my girlfriend, 
and Luke was having a cough. By the time I got back from dinner that night, which was on January 31st of last year, I went out to dinner. I got home, and my husband, he's got the, you know, the Neb machine going, the oxygen going, and, like, he's giving me that look. I said, am I heading north? He says, yeah. I didn't come back till mid-March. Imagine your life changing that. Take mom out of the equation for six weeks with 15 minutes notice. Right. Go. (laughs) Like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, Right? Right. So, I mean, it like I said, it impacts everything. And as hard it is for Luke, the patient, like, come on, let's face it. They, these kids, they do a really nice job. Child life, they're very good at taking care of the patient, making a hellish situation the best that you can. Right. But when you're the sibling of a rare disease patient and yes. mom's gone for six weeks yes. with 15 minutes notice in the middle of the night, yeah, yeah okay. It affects everything. And I think we really need to, and that's another, hopefully, you know, when things slow down, if things ever slow down, I would really like to focus on the SIBs of rare disease patients. It affects everything. I mean, marriages get destroyed, families, it, it tears everything up. Finances, you don't even want to go there. You don't, oh, you don't no, want to even go there. No, no, and we do. We talk a little bit more these days about the need for caregivers to take care of themselves. Oh, forget but, about it. But the, the siblings. <laughs> the sibs. The sibs. It's horrible. I mean, yeah, Luke, you know, was awesome. He got matched for um, a, a, he got a Make-A-Wish this year. When he was at Franciscan, they came and they gave him that. It was me. Just so much attention. Oh, Luke. Oh, Luke. Poor Luke. Poor Luke. Yeah, he's sick. But Cecilia's got, you know, when, when he goes in the hospital, he gets toys. He, I mean, Granted, it's because he's had, you know, procedures and stuff, but she sees it as. Right. You know. What about me? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard being a sib. Yeah. it. I mean, you know, it is. There's always there's years and years and years of research about siblings. And, and now siblings with a rare disease. Where it's, it's a whole to, other ball it's game. It's another ball game. I think that's, you know, a, I can't have that yet. I can't take on that. That. Um, project. <laughs> I can't do it. I, just, I need to not think about it. But no, that's something that I just, I would love to, but I really need to figure out what the heck I'm dealing with right now before I can do anything else. Do you, Have you found any strategies that work for Cecilia, for your family? Yes. Um, I make sure that whenever something is being presented to Luke, Luke, Cecilia is included, Everything. Absolutely. It's not even if you're going to do something for Luke, you need to do something for Cecilia because in some ways she's a patient, too. Yeah. You're learning to advocate for her Absolutely. as well. Yeah. I mean. That's smart. They have to. I mean, because kids grow up. If their needs aren't met somewhere, they're going to get them met somewhere else as they're older. And that's not something that I want my child to deal with. Right. So, like you asked me, does it affect things? It affects everything. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you get phone calls from medical places or, you know, like I was telling about finances. It's like, what are you going to do? Repossess the kid? Come on, take him, <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> if you can diagnose him, you can have There you him. go. <laughs> it helps me helping others because... The people that I'm helping, 
and the conversations that are being had with these people and these other families, that's where I'm most comfortable now. I don't, I can't just be at a playground anymore with my the medically typical moms having conversation about trying to get to soccer practice. No, no, you know, Um, this is the world that I live in, and I'm most comfortable with people that also live in this world, and that helps. Because if if you feel like you're an alien, which clearly we are, I mean, Luke's, you know, very unique, it's much harder if you're alone. It's much harder. I mean, like, how do you deal with it if you you don't have any sort of somebody to talk to. Right. You want to hang out with other zebras. Exactly. We look cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> we do. And really, I mean, it's. I think it's what, like your family. Like, you can't make inappropriate jokes about uh, someone that you're not related to. But if it's your own sibling, then you can, you, you know, you can laugh about what's mm-hmm. difficult. And so I think that's Humor what is the huge. R- rare disease community can oh, offer yeah. each other. We are not, we're, we're sarcastic. We're, I think we're fun people to hang out with, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you just kind of fit, you know? Yeah. You know, you just make it whatever. Yeah, yeah. So. It becomes family right it's, away. Exactly. Those boundaries are, mm-hmm. who has time for that? You just, whatever. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> uh, look, we'd all love to end these conversations with uh, a tidy, you know, and they all lived happily ever Mm-mm. after. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know that that means something very different in each story. But I know for me, that I will continue to watch you and Luke and and believe that we're just we just keep fighting and something something will come. That's awesome. I hope I'm right. I hope you're right too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rare and Common podcast. Tune in for more at rareincommon.com. Listen to other episodes in the archives and sign up to find out when new episodes are released. Rare in Common Podcast. Click, listen, feel, 